Hello, happy summer. You are listening to the OmniTalk Fast Five, brought to you in partnership with Microsoft, the AM Consumer and Retail Group, Takeoff, and Sezzle. The OmniTalk Fast Five podcast is the podcast that we hope makes you feel a little smarter, but most importantly, a little happier each week, too. Today is June 2nd. I am your host, Ann Mazinga, and. And I am Chris Walton. And we are here once again to discuss. All the top headlines making waves in the world of omni-channel retailing. Chris, how are you doing today? Are you getting ready for our, our Euro tour that's about to begin tomorrow? Up in the morning to you, Anne. Yes, I can't oh, wait geez. to get across the Atlantic. It's the, oh did my you know I don't think you knew this. I do not think you know this. I'm going to break the news to you. Do you know that we're heading to London tomorrow and it is literally, what is it? The Diamond Jubilee for the Queen's like 70th year on the throne? It's no. going to be insane. I had no idea, absolutely no idea until you told me today, but it explains why the flights were outrageous and everything that's going to be starting this trip off is going to be the same. I have yeah, every feeling. European retailer is going to be like hungover for shop talk. Like, that's why, <laughs> that's why no one's getting there till Wednesday, but, uh, but yeah, man, we got, we got, we got a killer lineup coming though. And like it's shop talk. So, so the, for those of you that don't know, we're going to be live streaming from the show, courtesy of our friends at SES and Magotag. Um, known them for a while. Great group of great group of people. We're going to be live streaming right from their booth. And we've got some cool guests. We've got we've got guys um, execs from Morrison's, uh, Marks yep. and Spencer's, yep. uh, Mango, Mango, such as Mango. And I've been wanting to say that my whole life. In a such podcast. as Mango. Yeah, from Saturday Night Live. Remember Chris Kattan? Oh such yeah, as yeah, Mango. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, they're all gonna be, they're all gonna stop by, and we're gonna live stream, share that, share what they've got to say about the future of retail and everything tech and retail for you guys on LinkedIn. So, you know, keep your eyes out on that. Yeah. And hopefully we'll be able to give you a good sense of what's happening there. Um, what we're seeing and who knows, Chris, what else we'll get into or get up to while we're there. So well, yeah, then, we'll be posting it on LinkedIn. Yeah. And, and, and for those of you listening too, we will not have a fast five podcast because immediate next week, because immediately following that we are jetting off to Germany and, yes. and the Netherlands to do a some video demonstrations of Trigo's checkout free retail in all of those countries. So woohoo, stick around for that one, huh? Ed? Yeah, yeah, it's gonna be fun. Let's hope uh we're we're uh separate again today because uh last week I had COVID and I'm still, <laughs> as you can hear, very nasally. So everybody keep your fingers crossed that in 14 days I'm able to get back into the country and we can record and be back for our, our June 16th podcast. That's Otherwise, right. The, 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 re the reverse godfather's in effect again. No matter how much right. we try to get together, it just keeps us away. And that's right. But and and before we get to the headlines, I do want yes. to share because I think our fans will be very excited to hear this because they are a part of this success. We moved up to number six. On the Apple podcast rankings for retail last week. Oh my God. That is our highest ranking ever. Can you believe it? Yes, that's amazing. Thank you so much, everybody. I'm so excited. I, and I've been loving reading the reviews. So I keep am, them coming. I am pleased as punch. And like I said, we're coming for you, McKinsey. McKinsey was in the top spot all this week. We are coming for you. Guns blaring. All right, Anne, well, let's read this week's review. Uh, this week's review comes to us from Jenna. And here is what Jenna had to say. Keeping up with the big wigs, exclamation point. I am new to my career working in category management for a large CPG. Listening to the Fast Five Weekly helps me to stay in touch with what's happening in the world of our customers. 
It's giving me the confidence to speak up in meetings. You go, Jenna, and sound intelligent while I do it. Probably more intelligent than we sound too, Ann. Thanks, Chris and Ann, for helping me find perspective in the future of retailing. Well, Jenna, I got to say, we are quite, quite welcome. This is exactly why we do what we do. And honestly, Ann, I think this review means a ton. I know it does to me. I'm sure it does to you too. It shows you how wide our reach is. We're hitting the CPG audience as well with this podcast. It's not just retail. The CPG crowd is finding our insights useful and our humor fun each and every week. And so I take great pleasure in that, Anne. Absolutely. And keep speaking up, Jenna. I love to hear this review. And if you are listening and you would also like to leave a review you want us to read on the Fast Five, um, or you just want to let us know what you think, please go ahead and do that on Apple Podcasts or Heart the Podcast if you're on Spotify, Google, Amazon Music. You know the drill but please follow and subscribe so that we can keep making the best content possible for all of you. And one day read it aloud for all the listeners to hear. Okay, Chris, let's get it. Yes, Ann. Let's, let's get it. to the fast five. Yes. And thank you to all the reviews we got. We're not, we're not on, we're not doing the show next week, but we'll get to the, my, my favorite one thus far from my ex fellow employee and a colleague at the gap next week. Oh my no God. You are, but I can't wait to read it. We'll get to that in two weeks. Right. So you're up next, but all right, yeah, we've got news on something called curbsierge service curbsierge service fancy yes from sephora and brookfield ups acquiring delivery solutions robot stores roaming the way at the mall of america old navy Mm -hmm. scaling back its inclusive sizing strategy but first dan we take off as we always do with news out of Dollar General this week, and Yes, let's do it. All right, headline number one, according to one of Amitok's favorites, Sam Silverstein at Payments Dive, Dollar General plans yeah. to self-checkout, to go to self-checkout only in 200 of its nearly 18,000 stores this year. The pilot comes on the heels of Dollar General's plan to roll out self-checkout machines to 11,000 stores in total by the end of this year. Now, Dollar General Chief Operating Officer and 2022 Omnistar, by the way, uh, Jeff Owen had this to say on a recent earnings call, quote, associates and stores participating in the pilot will still be able to assist shoppers during checkout, but the company believes that they will be better serving customers by handling other tasks, end quote. Chris, what have you got to say about this one? Yeah, and, ah, man, this one's tough for me. I'm, I'm, you know, quite honestly, I'm a, I, I think... Like I'm conflicted. Conflict is the word I would yeah? use. Like, I, yeah, I don't, I don't actually know how to think about this yet. And and I think that's important actually in how they're doing it. I'll get to that in a second. But, you know, I think, you know, on one hand, given the economic headwinds, I think it makes sense to test this. And 200 out of the 18,000 stores is a hell of a good sample size yeah. without impacting your total chain all that much. So so I think, it, I think it makes sense for them to do that. But I wonder if they're going to find the efficiency gains that they think that they are. You know, for example, like we've talked about it on the show a lot. For a truly self-checkout only store to work, you still have to have at least one person surveying the lanes. Mm-hmm. Hopefully you've got some computer vision assisting it too, like what we talked about with Colbert and RF earlier this year. But you also have to have a controlled entry and exit point to keep theft at a minimum. And that and that's really key. And so so the, the idea I have it here is like how they design this is going to be key. Um, but my guess is that they're still going to go back to wanting the hybrid solution, uh, because I just wonder if that's the better solution in the long run yeah. when you, when your universe is self-checkout only or cashiers, like, mm-hmm. you know, if you, I'm keeping the just walk out stuff out of this, right. Because that's right. a whole nother realm. If right. you're going down this road, I think the hybrid solution is probably better in the long run, 
I don't think you're going to get as much operational efficiency gains as you think you are from going to self-checkout because of the mm-hmm. dynamics of how the customers engage with it. And, you know, the other thing I bring up too is like Walmart tried this, you know, in Arkansas, we haven't seen them roll it out to a large degree either, but a lot more people are going with the hybrid approach and finding success there. So that's why I'm conflicted. I don't think this is going to lead to like this big self-checkout pot of gold at the end of the day, but I think it's worth trying and who knows, you could be surprised. So net net, yeah. I love it. I do yeah. love it. I just don't know what to make of it, but it's great as an experiment. Yeah, I think you call out a lot of important points. Um, and I think it's also important to clarify that, you know, these are two, this is 200 stores of 18,000 stores that they have. Like, I think this is an important move just because of the size of retailer that Dollar General is and the amount of stores that they have in, in the country. And I think that, you know, no matter what, they're going to give this a solid try at those 200 stores. I think it's important to call out that, you know, this does, while it does allow staff to help you know, the customers and someone that helped to the customers might be helping them do self-checkout on their own. Um, I think that it's, it still gives some stores the flexibility and freedom to start to fulfill orders that they're going to be fulfilling for instant delivery providers. Like they're supposed to be expanding produce. They're supposed to be expanding healthcare into some of their stores too. And I think as we start to see an increase in delivery coming from those stores, that this could be the key that kind of gets them to that, that end game of having the the people on the floor, not be tethered to a cash register. Um, There are clearly going to be, like challenges with theft, um, there's going to be challenges with other things, but I think those can all be solved or solved for as the most part, as much as possible with like ever seen in Kroger, what we're talking about there, where there's the screens that are up by the self-checkout. But at the end of the day, I think that this is really going to be successful for Dollar General in seeing how their customer responds to a completely converted store to, you know, using something like self-checkout and might open the lanes for them to start to test things like just walk out technology that you're talking about further down the road. Because ultimately, in order to keep operating costs low, they're going to have to figure something out. They cannot you know, they cannot staff stores to serve the stores the way that they need to with the current, the way the current model is running. And I think that they're going to have to, you know, tell the Dollar General customer, look, you either, you know, have to do self-checkout when you come to this store, the same way that like you have to bring your own bags to Ikea. It's part of the cut, like that's part of how you get a less expensive product. You're going to have to self-checkout here. And the customers will have to decide from there, like, look, am I going to go to the place that you know, there's a checkout person, or am I going to keep going to the dollar store where I can get things at a lower price point, but I have to do the checkout on my own. So just, I mean, a lot to think about there, but I do think that this is an important thing for people to be paying attention to. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think my, what's opened my eyes to is I think, you know, self-checkout's gotten a lot better, especially over the last couple of years. Yes. Um, and even today, like the announcement from Circle K with Mastion, which we'll, mm-hmm. we won't cover next week, but we'll cover um, probably at a future episode because it's pretty big where, there's new types of self-checkout machines coming into play too that make this even quicker and more efficient and people are just more used to it now. And so, yeah, but I think ultimately it'll depend on the design uh, by which they decide to put this and implement it in the store, mm-hmm. but it's going to be, it's going to be fun to watch because I could see a day where everyone is comfortable with it too. And therefore you could get the efficiency gains. And the other point too, and that you brought up, which I think is great is like, it's not just about helping customers. It's also just helping with all the other tasks you have to do in store now, like right. arranging curbside pickup orders and things like that, which Brings me to the next headline, which is yes. headline number two, four Brookfield malls in Houston have partnered up with Sephora to offer what is being hailed as, quote unquote, curbsierge service. 
here, Anne, is how curbsierge service works. And it, and it is it is important. They said in the headline that you have to say it like that. According to Chain Store Age, customers, customers who make Sephora purchases online can choose curbside curbsierge as their pickup option. Oh my God. When the order is ready, purchasers get an email or app notification that includes navigational instructions to the pickup destination. Upon arrival, they can press in I'm here button on the app or in the email, and they can scan their parking spots QR code. Brookfield then promises that a curbsierge team member will make deliveries to their cars within minutes. The service is being offered in partnership with N Group, a supply chain company that aids retailers with workers, processes, and technologies. One of the most catch-all descriptions of a company <laughs> that I've ever heard. And I'm guessing you are loving this like to the nth degree. Oh yeah, I put this post out the day I I saw it um, on LinkedIn because I was so impressed by it. And I think, again, this may not seem like much when you look at it at face value. I mean, a lot of retailers were coordinating consolidated pickup spots that were at malls where, you know, you could come to this one parking lot or something, but this was all being done manually. And so I think that this has, this has come from a lot of specific efforts on behalf of both Sephora and Brookfield to make this happen. This is not that manual process. This is, you know, Sephora opening up what would traditionally be very walled gardens. You know, they're not willing to share their information with many people, but they had to, we believe, open that up to Brookfield so that they can have, you know, the customer can have access to seeing whether or not this product is available at my Sephora store at my Brookfield mall. So I think we have to give kudos to both Brookfield for taking that role on as, you know, I'm not just mall operator anymore. I am an omni-channel retailer operator and Sephora for really going in and saying, look, we trust you. We're going to go and see how we can make this a better shopping experience for both of our customers. And I think really paying into what we talked about early on in the pandemic, which was like how and where you get a product is going to ultimately determine who you shop with. Like if Mm -hmm. I can pick something up that day and I don't have to go into the mall, but that's the the closest location to me, I'm going to choose that location. And it's done upfront in the process, not waiting until you get to the checkout process at the end. So I, I love this, Chris. And I know, I know you are feeling somewhat similarly about this. Yes. Spoil my thunder. And yes, yes, I am. Yeah, no, I totally am. No, hundred percent, hundred percent agree. I'm just giving you grief there for intentionally and, and well-deserved, but um, yeah, no, I think it's an awesome evolution of things we've talked about on the show a lot. Like, you know, it's what we've been clamoring for a long time, which is a major retailer stepped up to the forefront with the big shopping center operator right. to conceive of the world differently in terms of how we all can shop. And in a way that quite honestly, I think a lot of people probably want to shop when all this gets done and put in motion in the right way. Um, we first saw the idea with the debt mine and Centennial Malls and the Mall of America last year. Yep. But this takes it to a whole nother level. I think that's the key thing for the audience to hear, Anne. And, and it's something that you mentioned. The key is really the integration that's happening with here. Because you have this service being electable on Sephora's product detail page. That means integrated data streams. And that's really, really important. So if so, now Brookfield has this map at all its properties where it can say, look, we're doing this with a major retailer like Sephora. Why don't you do this with us too? And then they get to the point again where they kind of reverse engineer their way into a new front, potential new front end experience, or they just end up coordinating this for everyone to the benefit of everyone. But it gives them so much optionality and value in thinking about it that way. And right. the last the last point I would make too, Anne, is like, 
Kudos to Sephora. Sephora is so far ahead on the omnichannel game. Like they are graduate level. They're like writing the graduate level thesis. Like, <laughs> so many retailers are like back at like econ 101, you know, it's right. like kudos to them. They're just so far ahead of everyone. Yeah. Well, hopefully this will encourage more retailers to take the, the dive and to go in and to open things up. I mean, if Sephora is willing to do it, like you said, then, then there's no reason that, you know, Boot Barn, Abercrombie and Fitch, like you name it, they should all be going in and trying to figure out how they're doing it. And for other mall operators too. It's not just, you know, it's other mall operators that can take a look at what Brookfield's doing here. And I think figure out um, how to use that as a template for what they go on and and do in their malls and shopping centers. And the scale that comes with the picks and the activity around that, all those activities too, and those services. Yeah. When you all do them together, a hundred percent. Yep. All right. Let's go on to headline number three. So UPS has acquired last mile orchestration provider delivery solutions. According to freight waves, delivery solutions, SaaS platform enables smoother logistics experiences and same day delivery curbside pickup in-store pickup shipping and post-purchase transactions. Shippers and retailers using delivery solutions technology are connected to an ecosystem of same-day delivery providers. Um, Delivery solutions leading technology helps merchants offer their customers more flexibility and an engaging online purchasing experience as they increasingly look for an experience-driven omni-channel strategy. That was a quote from UPS in the statement published on its customer first story page. Chris, what what do we got to say to our shot in Manila delivery solutions? Yeah, I know. Yeah, you, you dropped the secret there. Yeah, no, I and I'm so we are so geeked up for this story. We had to highlight it for our audience too, because as many of you know who followed our show for a long time, Ann and I have been on delivery solutions since the beginning. I think mm-hmm. we were named to the advisory board right after I met Manila and our shot in 2017. So it's been like four or five years that we've known these guys. We've had them on the podcast numerous times. And this is proof to what we've been saying all along. You know, yeah. delivery orchestration software is foundational, foundational yes. to retailers clawing back value and taking control of their own destinies. Um, and it just shows to show you that any, it's just like we just talked about, Ann, any service really, whether it's delivery, picking and packing, curbside pickup orchestration, all of those things, as I've said a thousand times, can be thought of as white label goods that you can bid out across all the different providers so that you as the retailer can take control of the value chain. UPS sees that value. They got in, they acquired delivery solutions. Congratulations to our shot in Manila. Super excited for them. Yeah, I am too. I mean, this has just been amazing. I think, you know, the biggest news for me, which if you dig into this article a little bit closer, Chris, I think it's hilarious. Remember a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about Walmart go local and we're like, hey, yeah. if anybody knows how they're pulling this off, well, the word is out. Surprise, surprise. Delivery solutions behind Go Local uh, for Walmart. So I'm going to be curious to get more information about that. Uh, but I think, again, like you're saying, you know, we're past pandemic pandemonium. Retailers are now in the driver's seat when it comes to, you know, how they're going to do third-party delivery orchestration. And Delivery solutions technology is going to allow them to do that for themselves, not to have to rely on an Instacart or somebody else um, specifically or having that specific relationship with them in order to get their products to customers same day. So huge congrats to Arshad and Manil and their team for recognizing where this industry was headed before the industry itself knew it. So yeah, right. No, for sure. For sure. And this kudos to them too. They bootstrapped this whole thing. So oh nice, yeah, nicely done, gentlemen. Nicely done. All right, headline number four, and Axios revealed this week that tortoises 
You'll remember Tortoise from some of our coverage on Albertsons, uh, I think last year. Yep. Tortoise's first of its kind remote controlled store on wheels is now shilling it down at the MOA uh, in the Nickelodeon section of the mall, selling everything from popcorn to cotton candy and theme park tickets. And yes. here's how it works. Customers use a credit card to unlock a uh, unlock a box, unlock a box on the tortoise back, tortoise's back. Well, this could not be harder. And take their chosen product. Each robot is steered and monitored remotely by humans at a Mexico City control center. Holy crap, this gets better. Tortoise says the average transaction time is 11 seconds, and that 30% of people make a second purchase right away. Heck yeah. Quote, the first time they try it, it's like they're almost not even sure what's going to happen, said Dmitry Shevalenko, Tortoise's co-founder. And then people either buy a second item from the same container or one from each container on the robot's back. He then went on to add, these transactions, these are transactions that would likely not have happened if we hadn't been there and doing this. All right, Anne. So I'm curious if you agree with Mr. Shevalenko's shtick here. Oh, but yeah. But before I ask you about that, I have today's put you on the spot question from a and mm, Are okay. you ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. All right. Yeah, you ready? Okay. That is a good, that's a good one, too. As discussed a few weeks ago with Unilever and ice cream trucks, which, if memory serves, you love quite a bit. Oh, yes. Mobile robotic vending is a great idea for disruption and thus incremental selling opportunities. Our question, though, is much like your favorite Walmart delivery drones operated by pilots <laughs> in a central hub, can yeah. these type of mobile robots get mass traction as long as they're controlled remotely by humans in a control center and not fully autonomous? Your thoughts, I can't, Anne? I can't believe that the drone got brought up again. I was they're they're like poking. The oh, bear we're never there. going away from the drones <clears throat> after no. last week's rant. No. Um, okay, so. First of all, I love this application of the tortoise. I was a little like mm -hmm. ho-hum on the, the grocery delivery that Albertsons was piloting just because right. it seemed like there's a lot involved. I think you definitely need a human behind the wheel in those scenarios. Um, so that make that is kind of like just, just to set the table on how what I feel about this in general. But I do think that eventually this tortoise should be able to get to autonomous operation. I don't mm -hmm. think that you'll need control, you know, a human controlling this. And even if you do still need a human controlling this, it's not the same as the Walmart drones. One, because you don't need an actual pilot to be monitoring this. This is like someone, you know, in a call center or, you know, in a navigation center that's monitoring this. And it's still multiple products, to multiple people. You're still not doing one-to-one right? one one. One drone yep. delivery. And you know, right now it's selling tickets, cotton candy, and popcorn, but the potential for this is so significant. One, because it doubles as an attraction and a service, because yes, people are gonna stop and take pictures of this robot and think it's amazing. And then they'll be buying stuff from it just because they wanna see how it works. It doesn't matter if it's $12 yep. cotton candy, they're gonna be interested in it. And so I think kudos to Mall of America because this is a great thing to just have wandering around the, the park. Uh, I think that the potential to take this further is like taking convenience items and having it roam throughout the larger mall, not just in the Nickelodeon universe park, but I mean, convenience stores just 
kill at malls. I mean, if you, especially if you've ever worked at a mall, you know, like having the, the holiday gas station or whatever to run to, like they do a mall of America, it's packed all the time. There's a line out the door. So I love this idea of bringing convenience to the consumer and, you know, ultimately you can, can, you can play around with this. You can add to it and you have multiple things going to multiple people and just refilling that as you go along. So I think it's definitely worth um, worth having a driver if it needs to. And I think that it's just a stepping stone to get to autonomous delivery. Yeah, I think that's the key, right? Like, I think, you know, I'd say two things. I think one, I think the most important part of what you said is the one to many, which you said mm-hmm. on this show a lot, which I'll bring up another company that you mentioned in previous episodes too, Autonomy, that was doing the delivery at, in right. the Cincinnati airport. This is right. different than that, right? Because this is actually, this is essentially a mobile vending machine. Mm-hmm. That's what you've got here. They catch, captures you in the moment without you having to go to it or see it, right? It's just there. Mm-hmm. And that's a use case, which gets you a lot of purchases through its installation in one environment. And that's right. the value in it. So economically, even if you, even if it's not autonomous, there could be enough value to extract from somebody down in Mexico City watching this. Right. And, and then the second point I would make is, yeah, I think you'd still get to a world where this is autonomous. And this probably gets to a world of autonomy faster than a drone does. Because a drone, you're dealing with FAA regulations. You're dealing with, I think you used the, the, the phrase Jenny getting a package dropped on her head or whatever. Like we're going to be much more comfortable with autonomous vehicles, I would ascertain, than, because they're already in operation in like Phoenix and places like that. And the hotels, they've been like, remember Story right. of the Future? Like the, those, that was one-to-one delivery, yeah, but you know still those, like, you yes. know, it can happen. In warehouses, yeah. like, you know, those robots aren't going to bump into people. They've been right. tested enough. Right. I don't think we're at the place where we know where thousands of drones flying through the sky delivering, by the way, 4 million. I was doing the math on how many freaking pilots you need for 4 million to deliver 4 million packages one-to-one in oh, a God. day. It's ridiculous. But yeah, I don't think we're at the point where we know the implications of having all of those 10-pound boxes flying over our heads every single right. day, right? right. Like right. And wind chill, wind, wind oh, shear and all that, those crazy, A&M, A&M, you poked, crazy words. you poked the bear, it's coming back out. But yeah, but so I think, so, but I think both those points are important differences here. And ultimately it may, the autonomy part may not even matter here mm-hmm. if you're getting enough throughput in these high traffic locations, like the Nickelodeon Plaza in the Mall of America. It just, right. it just makes a ton of sense. Absolutely. And it's another right. James McCann company, and where uh, Midas McCann, McCann touches this one, you know, it's going to be awesome. So kudos yeah. to him. Uh, all right, Chris, let's wrap it up before we border on any more rants um, about the Walmart drones. Uh, Chris, headline number five, Old Navy is scaling back its efforts to offer more inclusive women's sizing in stores. So according to the Wall Street Journal, Gap Inc. Uh, CEO Sonia Singal told Old, said sorry that Old Navy stores will no longer carry all the sizes that it once did. Old Navy will continue to offer on its website the full size range, which runs from zero to 30 and extra small to 4X, but in stores that will no longer be the case. Now, Chris, we've talked a lot about this one leading up to today's podcast, and you have a lot of experience with this. So I'd love if you can kind of give us a background because when you were at Gap, I mean, they were looking at extended sizes. How did, how, what are, what's the whole story behind this and why is Old Navy making this move? Yeah, I mean, this story is actually this, this story is actually a little disheartening in a lot of ways. Um, it's kind of it kind of it's kind of sad, but in re- in reality, you can kind of see how we got here, and, and I think that's what we've talked about in the previous show. And you're right. So, at the background for everyone listening, like I used to work at the Gap, and I was in charge of men's denim sizing and women's denim sizing at one point in time. And at the time, we did this investigation to say, okay, 
we had 40 sizes, which mm-hmm. included like things like 36 pant legs for really tall people. Right. And we did the analysis of saying, like, should we take that from 40 down to 30? And when we did the math, like you look at those ancillary sizes at that time, and you were doing somewhere between like five and 8% of your business, which may seem like a lot, but when you double click into it, when you look across every store where you're having to send those jeans, it's an, it's not a very profitable decision because you're selling less than one per store per week on average in those sizes. Right. Now you might sell them in your better stores, but you're, you're ending up with a markdown or just a huge inventory carrying cost from, from trying to place all these sizes in the store. So when you get to a story like this in Old Navy, you're talking about like kind of that range of size, but then you're probably also talking about even harder to sell sizes across a general population. And so there's a reason this gets difficult and you can mm-hmm. see why they're pulling back. And so I think they, I think ultimately they've arrived at the right answer. And I want to get your thoughts on this too, but the right answer to me is you warehouse them, you, you warehouse them in your e-commerce distribution center because it's one pool of inventory. You can send it wherever you need to. You make them available for ship to store. Mm-hmm. You know, you can pick them up in store, try them on in store. You put all the full omni-channel capabilities around it. But net net, it's a really difficult game to get into. Unless you are 100% confident that you want to take the loss on this from a gross margin return on investment standpoint to offer this to your customer. Mm -hmm. But I think history shows you that that's hard to do. This is why things like big and tall stores exist. Like they capitalize on this market specifically, and that's what they tailor their business to. When you're trying to be everyone, like everyone, everything for everyone at mass, it just becomes really difficult to do. Well, I appreciate that perspective. Um, and I, I wonder then what brands should do. I mean, there is a demand increasing for extended sizes that we've started to see. There are more brands that are going specifically after an extended size market. How, I mean, do, do you think brands, like immediately I go to, like, do brands continue to offer this? I mean, we saw like Athleta go and really stand out for this, talking yep. about doing extended sizes in stores. Um, but I mean, are, are they responsible then for pulling that budget? If that's going to be where they're going to stand the budget for the loss of items that they don't sell in the store is marketing going to cover that? Like, how do they figure out how to cover those gaps? Um, because somebody it's got, it's going to be paid for somewhere. I think the other part of this that I question too, is like, what's happening to all of those unsold goods too, you know, as from a customer perspective, yes, it's not an ideal situation that you can't go to an old Navy now and find all of your sizes on the rack. But, you know, if, if they're not available, you know, are those sizes that don't get sold or that are getting returned to stores, are they just ending up in landfills and, and is, you know, is keeping them in an e-commerce warehouse a better way to hang on to that and make sure that those, those get distributed. I, I don't know what your thoughts are. No, that's a great point. I mean, it's a great point. It's probably a sustainability angle too, in terms of how you try to approach these consumers with these types of products. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, in today's day and age, I, I don't necessarily think having something in a store is a requirement to a good retail experience, right? You could still yeah. offer these clo- these sizes online. You could elect to have them shipped to the store if you want, and they could try them on in the store. And that way it avoids the, 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 the downside of trying to say, you know, hey, we have these for everyone in every store. Because you can't, you can't, you can't just put them in your best stores, right? That, that's a marketing right. nightmare. Like, oh, right. you can, you know, if you're this size, you can shop in this store, but two, two miles down the street, you can't. Like, right. that doesn't work. But I think you can create a good experience to your point and probably a more sustainable one in the long run as well without right. having to worry about, you know, marking this stuff all out or salvage it or get rid of it or send it to a well, job or whatever. 
And what about what Amazon style is doing? I mean, I, I know that's possible for Amazon because they have the money to do it, but mm-hmm. I'm curious your thought, like, you know, could old Navy start to do something where, you know, you don't pay for the product. You just order it all to an old Navy. You try it on there and then return what you don't want right in the store and then walk out with what you do. I mean, is that something like, how does that work into the, like the mechanics of everything and, and what products you have on hand and how many of those products you have on hand? Yeah, I think that, I mean, that's a much better solve when you're, when you're talking about SKUs with highly variable sales distributions sure. relative to sizes that are always selling and you know, like the medium, you know how right. much you can sell the medium in every location. The, the extra, extra, extra small to, to, to elaborate on the point is very hard to tell the pattern, especially in clothing where things change so significantly one style to the next. Sure. Yeah, that's a much more sustainable and economically viable business model because you're not, it's not forcing you to upfront allocate your product to a thousand stores to your best guess that you have at that time. And so, yeah, that absolutely makes sense. That's one of the brilliant ideas around, you know, Amazon's model. Um, But, you know, getting back to the question, I think ultimately it depends what brand you are, how much volume you can command in these sizes. There's probably some retailers that can command a significant amount of volume in these sizes without having the same impact to their bottom line financials. But sure. most specialty retailers are not going to be able to do that. And so if they're going to do it, if they're going to take that risk, they're going to have to hold hands and say, look, it's a marketing investment. Here's how much that marketing investment is going to cost us. And we think it's going to be worthwhile. And therefore, we have to cut our budget in marketing somewhere else if we're going to make this work. Right. Well, and makes the case for future, you know, fit tech sizing and other things that are helping the other technology that's that can be used to try to help plan this out better too in the future, hopefully, but right. We'll see. All right, Chris, that's it. Should we get to the lightning round? Yes. Heck yeah. Let's lighten okay. around this. Let's lighten around this B up before we go to Europe. Man. All right. All right. Uh, Chris tables with a Z Ooh. is metaversizing. I think I made that word up. Uh, the restaurant reservation industry, uh, which allows you to virtually se- view and select your table in your restaurant before booking. My question for you, Chris, is does Larry David still get sad at the ugly people section <laughs> of the restaurant? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. My question for you is, uh, are you a booth guy or a table guy when making a reservation? Okay, so wait, you don't want me to answer the Larry David question? Um, I mean, the I knew, yes, do whatever it, you want. Yes. I think those are both great questions. I think, first of all, uh, he gets to sit wherever he wants because he's Larry David in the metaverse. He can be whoever right. he wants. That's, That's the, right. He can adopt That's right. whatever persona he wants. Uh, but no, I mean, a booth or a table person. I'm a, And you know this about me. I'm a table guy and particularly mm. a circle table guy. Okay. I've told you the story mm. at Stanford. Like all the tables had to be circular because a circle, circular table engenders camaraderie because you're always looking at everyone. You don't have that mm. situation where you're only talking to the person on your right or your left. It's very, it's very interesting when you start to think about mm, it. I'm a, I'm a nice cozy booth gal. You're a booth gal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you mm-hmm. like those big plush red leather booths. All right. Sure. And somehow reportedly someone, I mean, someone, somehow, someone, somehow, and yes. reportedly threw a piece of cake at the Mona Lisa recently. <laughs> what was the last time you remember throwing food at someone? I had to be excluded. I had to think really hard about the last time that I did this, but I do remember the last thing I could think of was when we were in Seattle, uh, when we were at Target on a trip and I was eating some sort of fish stew, like the Chiopino or whatever, you know, cracking something. What is it called? (laughs) Chiopino. Yes. Chiopino. Yeah. Yeah. 
I was cracking one of the things that was in that and I cracked and it hit Todd Waterbury at Target, our boss at the time. Oh my God. Right in the face. I was sitting right next to him and just, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Which for those that don't know, Todd Waterbury has like an all white house in New York. Like, right. Like, like getting, getting hit with Chipino. Yeah. He was, I don't think he was probably not his favorite thing to do. But he and, didn't and by care. Way, you're, you're, you're Italian. Right you're asking me how to how to say that. I know. Well, you know what? It's, I think it's the it's what it's like. As Vanilla Ice would say, what it's like having the Rona. Except that wasn't the actual. Word. But I think that I'm going to blame the coronavirus for this this uh, All right, let's misstep moving, today. Man. Oh my god! All right, Chris. Four of Johns Hopkins students invented an edible tape that keeps burritos from falling apart. Uh, We all know who have been listeners to the show that you have a very strict list of key ingredients for a burrito. Where does edible burrito tape fall on that list? Oh my God. Yeah. And if you have, you have to look up this picture too, because it makes it sound, it makes it look even worse than it is. But, but to answer your question, Ann, I would place it third on my list right after meat that is too dry and mm. too much lettuce in my burrito, but but before before and ahead of a too loose of a fold, you can't have a loose okay. fold in your burrito. No, no, and no, no, a burrito no. that is too wet. A burrito that's no. too wet, but it, it's better than those. But worse, it's it. But it, but but being too dry and having too much lettuce is a far more greater offense to me. I'd rather have edible tape. I feel like the tape would prevent the loose fold and the wet burrito. Hopefully, right. Yeah, I think you can still get a wet burrito from tape because it all just depends on like how much. Usually fair, it's like sour fair. cream. Sour cream is generally the culprit in the wet burrito. All right, oh, I was going to keep moving on because this, this has gone off the rails. All right, and Taco Bell had definitely stopped selling its recently reintroduced Mexican pizza. On a scale of one to 10, how much do you think this had to do with AM's David Ritter's insatiable need to run to the border? Oh man, uh, David Ritter clearly is not alone uh, with this menu item and that it maybe needs to be reintroduced Taco Bell. So figure out your supply chain. It's no Crunchwrap Supreme, but apparently people love it. So I think that I would give this probably an eight. It's David Ritter's fault. Yeah. You know what the hustle needs to do? The hustle of the Great Daily They need to do an expose on like why the Mexican pizza ever went away. Like, I don't get it. Like, it was such a great thing. And now people love it. Seemingly they're running out of it. Like, why did it ever leave the menu? Like, I don't get it. But anyway, happy birthday today to Wayne Brady, Justin Long, and the greatest fictional U.S. president that is still living, David Palmer himself, Mr. Dennis Haysbert. Remember, our LinkedIn live streams from Shop Top Europe will replace our regularly scheduled Fast Five next week. We'll be back on June 16th. And remember, if you can only read or listen to one retail blog in the business, make it OmniTalk. Our Fast Five podcast is the quickest, fastest rundown of all the week's top news. And our twice-weekly newsletter tells you the top five things you need to know each day and also features special content exclusive to us and just for you. And we try really hard to make it fit all within the preview pane of your inbox. You can sign up today at www.omnitalk.blog. Thanks, as always, for listening in. Please remember to like and leave us a review wherever you happen to listen to your podcast or on YouTube. And of course, as always, be careful out there. The Talk Fast Five is a Microsoft-sponsored podcast. Microsoft Cloud for Retail connects your customers, your people, and your data across the shopper journey, delivering personalized experiences and operational excellence. And is also brought to you in association with the A&M Consumer and Retail Group. 
The AM Consumer and Retail Group is a management consulting firm that tackles the most complex challenges and advances its clients, people, and communities toward their maximum potential. CRG brings the experience, tools, and operator-like pragmatism to help retailers and consumer products companies be on the right side of disruption. And Takeoff. Takeoff is transforming grocery by empowering grocers to thrive online. The key is micro-fulfillment, small robotic fulfillment centers that can be leveraged at a hyper-local scale. Takeoff also offers a robust software suite so grocers can seamlessly integrate the robotic solution into their existing businesses. To learn more, visit takeoff.com. And Sezzle. Sezzle is an innovative buy now, pay later solution that allows shoppers to split purchases into four interest-free payments over six weeks. To learn more, visit sezzle.com. We'll